Greeks had lost every event. He swore to burn down all of Athens. He ran 240 kilometers in just two days. It became a symbol of European white supremacy. The sport is dominated by Kenyans and Ethiopians. It makes no sense. This is the Great Human Chronicle. I'm Anvik. The story I'm about to tell you is half truth, half lie. A 2000 year old story and a story about tomorrow. In different eras, this story has been told in a lot of different ways. You can start at some point in the start or at some point in the end. But I will start by breaking the most important rule of content creation in the internet era. I will start by stating the obvious. Humans run. Humans have always run. And now I will start a story. Not at the start, not at the end, but at a point in the middle. It is a very hot afternoon in Athens on the 10th of April, 1896. 80,000 spectators sit in anticipation inside the newly renovated Panathenaic Stadium. Originally built 2000 years earlier, the Panathenaic Stadium is a symbol. A symbol of the greatness of ancient Greece that the newly independent and struggling Greece is desperately holding on to. As the crown prince of Greece and others sit all through the hot afternoon, waiting for horsemen to come with updates about the final event of the first modern Olympic Games, they do not know that they were about to witness the birth of a national icon, a tradition and a sport unlike any other, the marathon. Until this point, the Greeks have lost every athletic event at the Olympics and it looks like they are going to lose this one too. They had been beaten by outsiders at the event that they created. But in the closing moments of the final event of the first Olympics, a Greek shepherd and water carrier, Spiridion Louis, enters the Panathenaic Stadium. As the Greeks see that one of their own has entered the stadium first, the stadium erupts in joy. The crown prince jumps onto the ground and runs alongside Louis. As he finishes the final lap of the first ever Olympic marathon, a nation runs its way to life. To paraphrase David Goldblatt, on that day, a modern mythological hero was born. But this myth doesn't start that day. It starts centuries before even the ancient Panathenaic Stadium was built. It starts when the city of Ionia decides to revolt against their Persian rulers. The Persian Empire was a Goliath. Its King Darius even did that thing that kings often did, where they claimed to be the king of kings. Except the Persian Empire was so massive that he could somewhat justify that claim. To stand a chance against the Persians, the Ionians needed help from the Athenians of Greece. The Persians still won, but King Darius was furious. He asked for his bow and shot an arrow into the sky as he swore to burn all of Athens down. On a side note, apparently he also made one of his servants say, Master, Master, remember the Athenians thrice before dinner every day, which is something. Three years after the Ionian Revolt, Darius had come to seek revenge and burn Athens. 
8,000 Athenians and 25,000 Persian soldiers prepared to fight on the plains of the Marathon. For every Athenian soldier, there were three Persians. Athens wasn't even a military superpower. I mean, they were fine, but the place that everyone knew was known for its military might was Sparta. So, logically, the Athenians sent a messenger to Sparta asking for help. This messenger was a man named Pheidippides, and he is the protagonist of our story. You see, humans have always run, but few could run like Pheidippides. Pheidippides ran 240 kilometers to Sparta and back in just two days. He was unsuccessful in getting help from Sparta, as the Spartans couldn't leave immediately because of some moon thing. I I don't get it. It's not important. What is important is what happens next, because it is one of history's most fascinating and consequential moments. Through sheer spirit and courage, the Athenians pull off what can only be described as a miracle. They beat the mighty Persians. I need you to understand how big of a deal this was. Had the Persians won, human history as we know it would have changed. There wouldn't be any democracy or Christianity or the Roman Republic. Heck, it wouldn't even be called history, because that is a Greek word. But they didn't, and someone had to tell the Athenians back home about it. That someone was Pheidippides, and so he took off again. Pheidippides ran 40 kilometers. From Marathon to Athens, he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran until he reached the gates of Athens, and then he announced, "We have won." And then he fell to his death. The Battle of Marathon became a symbol of Athenian resilience and courage, and the story became more and more mythologized. When the underdog wins a battle, the underdog is never humble about it. The story of Pheidippides was also exaggerated. The version of events I've told you about almost certainly did not happen. What probably happened instead was that there were different incidents from the battle that combined to form this one narrative about a Greek hero battling long distances for his nation. Pheidippides had become a small yet significant Greek hero. The Battle of Marathon lived on as a symbol of Greek supremacy, and by extension, over time, white European supremacy. In 1864, the famous English poet and playwright Robert Browning writes a poem about a Greek runner. He calls it Pheidippides. This poem is read by Michel Brial, a French intellectual who calls his friend Pierre de Coubertin the founder of the modern Olympic Games. Or well, at this point, the future founder of the modern Olympic Games. It is 1894, and Coubertin is still trying to organize the first Olympic Games in Greece. At this point, the Olympics has many skeptics. In what feels like Olympic tradition now, there are reports of corruption, unnecessary expenditure, and doubts about stadiums not being completed in time. Many see the whole event as this poor excuse for rich people to get together for a week. And others just don't see how this extravagant upper-class picnic has anything to do with the 2,000-year-old sporting ritual at all. Greece is also a country in turmoil. The young country has been independent for 60 years now, but it is still a shadow of what it 
it wants to be. It wants to be ancient Greece, but it is nothing like it. The country and the Olympics need a soul, a story, an ideal to live up to. Brial thinks he has that soul. He tells Kubertan about a new sport made just for the Olympics. A race from Marathon to Athens that mirrored Fidipides' final run. The marathon would be that story. That made this Olympics a true reawakening of the past. Let's go back to the point in the middle of the story. Back to the afternoon of 10th August 1896. As the son of a water carrier and a former soldier entered the Panathenaic Stadium, the stadium goes absolutely mental. This was the stuff of stories. A Greek soldier charting the same lonely lands that Pheidippides did all for the glory of his nation, battling not just his enemies but also himself as he runs through those lonely lands. If it isn't obvious by now, I am in love with the construct of a marathon. This wholly unnecessary race has a place in my heart like few sports do. I love sports. To me they are the purest form of our desperate need for stories and the marathon is nothing if not a story. There is no logical reason for us to run in this day and age for that long. There is no reason for us to run in the name of an historic event that let me remind you did not happen. It's not the longest race, it's not even the race where you run the fastest. Even the distance is arbitrary at best. It doesn't even come from the story of Pheidippides. It comes from the 1908 Olympics where the British royal family just wanted to see both the start and the finish, so they altered the distance. The marathon became the connection to the past that Kubertan needed. Stories just like Spiridion Luis's have been written again and again at the Olympics. They were written in 1908 when Italian runner Durando Petri was disqualified after he collapsed just before reaching the finish line. They were written when Song Ki-chung refused to sing the Japanese national anthem after winning the 1936 marathon because he was a Korean whose country was being occupied. They were written when the line of Ethiopia Abebe Bikila ran barefoot to win the gold in 1960 and then again in 1964 they were written when Catherine Schwartz sneaked into the Boston Marathon using just her initials becoming the first woman to run the race and before that they were written when a woman named Melopemine Ostamata Rivati ran the marathon outside the Panathenaic Stadium at the same time as the first men's race to prove that women could run a marathon too They have been written countless times by Ethiopian and Kenyan runners who now dominate this sport, meant to prove white European dominance. There will be a story written tomorrow, on the 8th of August 2021, at the marathon finals of the 2021 Olympics. The marathon claims to be the representative of our past, but in reality, it is a symbol of our present. Humans have always run. Outrunning and tiring large animals was the only way we could beat them. To run was to survive. Humans have always run. But now it's different. Now we're in the era of the marathon. In the past, Pheidippides may have run 40 kilometers to tell the Athenians 
that they had won. Before that, we may have run to survive predators. But today, all these years later, we run because we've won everything. We have survived, we have thrived, and we'll keep on running. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you liked that. If you'd like to support me as I try to explain the world through art, culture, history, and everything else, then you can support this show in all the ways people support such shows. You can also follow me on Instagram at Great Human Chronicle. I put out a lot of stuff just like this, but shorter, funnier, faster paced, and it's a good time. Check it out at Great Human Chronicle on Instagram. This episode of the Great Human Chronicle was written, researched, produced, directed, edited, and performed by Anvik Singh. The music in this episode was by They Dream by Day, Howard Harper Barnes, Christopher Moore, Ditlefsen, and Silver Maple. Theme song of the show is by Mark Torch, and all artwork is by me. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, and most importantly, your attention. I'll see you in two weeks.